Anybody have any dirty jokes? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchek, James Kernan, Amy Luby, and Carl Palachuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts Technology Community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Welcome, everybody, to the SMB Community Podcast, and we have a full house today. We have uh, two Amy, one Carl, one James show. So <laughs> welcome, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Glad to be here. So we're doing a, a webinar with Asigra on April 19th. The link is in the show notes, and that's on uh, the challenges of backup in the 21st century. Then NSITSP has an insurance webinar, which is everybody needs this information. And that's April 26th, link in the show notes. Then uh, NSITSP is having a coaching uh, extravaganza organized by ChannelWise and Amy Babinchak and Jeff Ponce and I are going to be there. And that's at the Channel Partners on May 3rd, uh, link in the show notes. NSITSP has their all-member meeting on May 10th, uh, which happens every quarter, and that's at nsitsp.org. Uh, and then the SMB Online Conference is May 17th and 18th, and that's at smbonlineconference.com. And then NSITSP has another webinar coming up at the end of May and another one at the end of June, and we will link to those as they get a little bit closer. So that's the news I had. Uh, what are you guys up to? I'm doing almost all of those things with you. <laughs> Literally, I am. I think there's one item on that list that I'm not participating in. So, yet, yeah, my calendar is just as booked as yours. <laughs> Crazy busy, yeah. Lots of uh, lots of good stuff coming on. The next show I'm actually going to. I'm gonna go check out MSP GeekCon. It's in Orlando. I'll drop uh, I'll drop the link here in there, but it's uh, down in Orlando, May 21st through the 23rd, which kind of a uh, looks like a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But yeah, I wanted to go check it out. Look like they've got uh, some cool stuff lined up there. And, and May will not be too bad. That's that's when the humidity has not gone through the roof. And uh... go check it out. I, I did just get back from the the Mastermind Cybersecurity event down at Threat Locker. Two weeks ago in Orlando, and that was super cool. Uh, was able to kind of do a behind-the-scenes tour um, right as the NCX, the day of the NCX breach. We had a, a, an event there. You know, there were a lot of us there doing a tour that day. <laughs> so we got a real behind-the-scenes tour. So that was uh, that was awesome. Uh, what am I up to? I am buried in scheduling QBRs with my MSPs um, in a quest to figure out how we can help them grow, um, but also did some digging um, into our data here. And um, there is, I, I don't know if you guys have done this, I'm sure you have. Look at your white space, right? Like what you're selling into your client base, but more importantly, what you're not selling into your client base and developing opportunity pipeline with that. Um, so doing that across our system um, 
through the outreach with the QBRs. So that's what I'm buried with right now. I like that term so much better than wallet share. Uh, white space. I mean, I um, do. It's it's friendlier terminology, I think. Wallet share sounds like a money grab. Like, where can we grab more money? <laughs> right. Well, and I love the concept because, you know, one of the biggest opportunities for any business is to sell more deeply into their existing clients. And it's actually, if you designed your offering well, it's in the client's best interest to have the whole offering, right? Because the whole offering means you've got all the security and all the options and you're you're optimized for everything. Where if you just pick and choose, like, okay, so now we got to shoehorn some stuff in here uh, and, and you're not getting everything you can. Now, granted, not every client has the money to buy everything you sell, but in a right. perfect world. Well, they, you know, it's the lowest hanging fruit, right? Least amount of cost to acquire that business because you've already acquired some bit. Um, but it's really interesting to look at the numbers. I mean, even with moderately sized MSPs, you know, you're looking at adding half a million to a million dollars in additional opportunity in your pipeline that, you know, if you just take the time to do that exercise, uh, it can be really interesting, really interesting. So um, looking forward to figuring that out. Yeah, I would think that many MSPs can add 20, 25% of additional revenue just by looking at their existing clients and what else they need. Yeah, that's that's one of the very first things I do when I onboard a one-on-one -on -one client is look at their existing account base, verify when was the last time price increases happened, and then dig into the QBRs. Because to me, as a sales professional, QBRs to me are an opportunity to go sell them more stuff, right? And I know lots of people are going to word it very differently than that. But, uh, you know, if you do a good job uh, through these QBRs, uh, that's what happens. So you stay sticky with the client. And that's so important. And so I refer to it as a client roadmap. And actually today, as we speak, uh, is a perfect example of why I do that. Because I think the focus for me is not on sales. Sales happen. But like right now, as people are worried about, oh, are we going to go into a recession and will it be a big one or a little one or this and that and whatever, you can help them save money, put the right equipment in the right places. If they're going to lay somebody off, okay, make sure the, the best equipment is in use. And then when it's time to start hiring back, they look back and said, oh, I'm going to call on James because he gave me great advice and helped me save money as a, we were prepping for the recession. So then when it's time to spend money, you're one of the first people that they call because you actually helped them and didn't try to sell them anything. And so then they say, okay, now we need three new computers and this and that and so forth and so on. So you get a shopping list. So yeah, it's, it's sales with evidence, right? You're not just selling them a widget or some shiny tech object. You're selling us a, a solution to whatever their problem is. And you show them, here's the problem as evidenced by X, Y, Z. Here's how we solve that problem. So you're I, also fulfilling the managed promise of managed services. Mark your calendars and plan to be with us May 17th and 18th as we bring you the 2023 SMB online conference. 
check us out at smbonlineconference.com. You'll find we have more than a dozen speakers and two days filled with presentations, plus a format that really works for online conferences. Save $100 by registering today at smbonlineconference.com. So, Amy, do you want to introduce your five minutes with a very smart person? Yeah, I spoke with smart person Will Fasty, who is the editor of the Ask Woody Plus newsletter, um, which if you don't describe, subscribe, you should, and I'll put the link in there for you because it's one that is, it's paid, it's per paid one, but it is worth paying for. It's content that I see nowhere else. Um, he wrote a great commentary about the ethics of AI and um, where these ethics are going to come from. Um, perhaps the three laws of robotics that Isaac Asimov um, put together in his series of books, and then eventually the zeroth law. Um, we talk about that, and then um, also how Microsoft reacted to um, when its AI went sideways on a reporter recently and what they did. And so that's what I talked to Will about. Today I'm talking to Will Fasty. He is editor of the Ask Woody newsletter of which we're going to include a link at the end of our podcast today to their plus membership. I really think it's something that you should subscribe to. I really, I really enjoy it. Uh, Will, you wrote something that really caught my eye in your newsletter article or in the commentary section, you wrote something you called the three laws of robotics and the three laws of robotics come from Isaac Asimov which also piqued my interest in my early days. I did read a lot of sci-fi and you actually list out these three laws. Law one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. And these come out of, these come out of iRobot, right? Number two, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. In law three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. And then later he adds a zero, zeroth law. I can't even hardly say that word. <laughs> a robot may not harm humanity or by inaction allow humanity to come to harm. And the reason that you highlighted these is because of Microsoft's implementation, ChatGPT and Copilot of the OpenAI platform. Uh, and then you go on to talk about ethics. And I think that the ethics component of this conversation is so important and something that has been not spoken about, not voiced by enough people. And I was so glad to read this. And what I'd like to, talk to you today is about the ethics of AI and Microsoft's reaction to this and how they're handling it. My first reaction to that is they're not handling it particularly well. 
I don't know that anybody's handling it particularly well, right? All the comments that I hear about AI are in, in particularly chat GPT and now Copilot, which, you know, in general, I'm 90% always in favor of anything Microsoft does. Um, you know, I kind of, I bleed blue after 16 years as an MVP. And, um, but everything I read about AI is either gushing and glowing or based out of fear. And I think we just have to know that this technology is here. It's not going anywhere, but we have to put some guardrails around it. And you're the first guy I've really heard talking about that. Yes, I think guardrails is a very good way to put it. Don't know what all of these big companies are actually doing with AI. One company that uh, that I've not spoken about or mentioned, and uh, I we tend to forget about it because the company is spends a lot of money on research, always has, as for almost its entire existence. Uh, and that company is IBM, and the product is Watson. If you'll recall, one uh, Jeopardy playing against live humans. Um, Watson continues to advance and uh, is being used in the medical sciences, in the medical professions, and in other areas. I am not yet convinced that uh, that this is the sort of the true level of AI. Nonetheless, you're absolutely right. This stuff is with us. We're going to have to deal with it. We're going to have to understand it. And I do believe we're going to have to start thinking about what those guardrails should be. Although this sort of goes against my grain, um, it's in society's best interest to make sure that appropriate guardrails are placed so that we are not harmed by the evolution of this technology. And in that context, I'll mention just on the side, civil engineering. You can't build a sidewalk in this country uh, unless a civil engineer who has been appropriately licensed and certified is the engineer behind it. Uh, for my 50 years, 50 plus years in computing, licensing of engineers has been a constant, of software engineers has been a constant topic and has never been implemented. Software fundamentally remains a craft. So it's even more in need of societal guardrails than the guy who's designing the sidewalk is. Yeah, so I don't even know if you're aware of this, but two of the three of us that do this podcast went out and formed an organization that may ultimately do just that. It's called the National Society of IT Service Providers. And um, our goal is to professionalize this industry, to take it from a craft to a profession. And what that, how we actually make that path happen is still in, still in the works, but there's a lot, of, a lot of great things underway that will are take us in that direction. And we're not unique, right? At some point, civil engineers didn't have that as their, uh, you know, they didn't have that in their guardrails, right? People could just hang out their shingle and say, yeah, I can lay some sewer lines for you, right? Um, and until the we, first bridge fell down. Yeah, right. Until until something really until something really bad happens. And that's actually our reason for wanting to get this going now is because um, as soon as the first 
major thing happens, and we've seen major things happen, but as, as these build up, government tends to take no action until they take a massive action, right? It's like nothing, 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 all of a sudden a giant, a giant leap forward, and it's usually the wrong, the wrong thing to do. So, so one of our goals is to get in front of that, but that is so off topic of what it well, we're here to talk today. It is actually, <laughs> it is actually quite on topic because um, the question of uh, even even the part you mentioned in my article about uh, the point about uh, Microsoft adjusting Bing AI after it had threatened a reporter was not to adjust the knobs and levers, as I put it in the article behind the screen and say, okay, sir, I'm sorry, we fixed that. They adjusted the way in which humans interacted with this, with this uh, AI mechanism. Um, and so it was almost like the Wizard of Oz saying, don't look behind the curtain. And we have to look behind the curtain. This is just, there's just too much danger if we don't. I'm not sure that certifying as software engineers or IT professionals is necessarily the answer. However, it would be a good idea if folks like you and I were in the mix in providing government with the concepts that they need to embody in whatever they decide to do to regulate things. Because you're right, they tend to not understand and go overboard with respect to their solution. Yeah, I 100% agree. Well, I want to I want to thank you for speaking with me today. I want to also say that I am 100% on board with you. I don't think this is AI. This large language model seems to me just to be a new way to search the internet and get different types of responses than we're used to getting. Right? Instead of a list, we now get a paragraph, and so. Uh, it doesn't, I don't see the intelligence in it either. And um, being someone who's very Microsoft forward, I was quite concerned as well that the reaction to a problem with AI attacking someone is to change the human, not to change their, not to change their model. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know, we shouldn't change, we shouldn't invent something and then change the human to fit it. We should invent something that helps us amplify what humans are already great at doing, which is being human. Uh, that's right. Exactly yeah. right. And, and Asimov in particular struggled with that in his, in his subsequent robot novels. He was constantly dealing with that. Uh, and it's part of uh, his corpus uh, on the subject, which I actually, I would recommend, iRobot is just a starting point. iRobot is, uh, is an anthology of the stories that he wrote in amazing science fiction magazine. Uh, but then he wrote a series of robot novels, um, most of which featured uh, the human detective, Elijah Bailey, coupled with the robot detective, Daniel Olival. Daniel Olival goes on to play an important part and ends up in the, the final uh, novel in the in Asimov's foundation series called Robots and Empire which is where the zeroth law uh, finally comes to, to fruition. And uh, of course, even when I read it initially, it scared the hell out of me. I'm gonna go back and read them. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me. It was good to talk to you.
got a cool one coming up, Carl, in a couple weeks um, of kind of a new partner on the scene, a new service that I think is super, super cool. But uh, before I say their name, I'll just ask everybody a question, and I, I hope uh, I can bait you properly. But who's <laughs> the most confusing vendor out there program-wise? You know, they're giant. They got so many programs and rebates. You, nobody can keep up. The different levels <laughs> changes every day. You call for support. You don't know who you're calling. Never, never heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But their initials are Microsoft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, there were some super talented uh, Microsoft employees that broke off and created their own company called the Partner Masters. And they basically offer services about how to engage, leverage, um, and get the most out of your Microsoft partnership. So uh, I think they're 13 days into opening the business, and they've already got a wait list of, of uh, Microsoft partners all around the country that want to onboard with them. I always invite them to come speak at my events because it's uh, they're, they're so talented, and that was while they were uh, Microsoft employees. So excited to go check it out. I dropped the link if anybody wants to go check them out. I dropped the link in chat so we can post that on the podcast. And it's an entire sub-industry of uh, people who've created businesses based on doing something with Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had I had a dedicated marketing person at my MSP years back before I sold it, you know, dedicated in the marketing team just to help me understand all the programs. And, you know, they did such a good job of getting rebates getting sponsorships, you know, it, it paid for itself. I mean, I, I funded off my nickel, a full-time employee dedicated to that. So that's how important it was to me, but also to the point, that's how confusing it was because uh, you really have to spend a lot of time in Partner Central to understand uh, all the stuff. So anyway, well, it's, a really, it's a really interesting time for them to start this business because Microsoft has made the biggest change that they've ever made in the partner program. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're starting off with 600,000 partners. I honestly believe they're going to end up with 6,000 partners, that the calling will be that severe with the, the rules of the new partner program. Yeah. So yeah. we'll be right. interested to see, to see what happens. It has, they postponed it for a year. So, um, we were able to get in. We were able to to renew at the old on in the old program rules for another year. Through this year, you have your option to go one way or another. If you renew within the renewal window, if you miss it, you're in the new program. But the old program, we made about sixty thousand dollars a year off of it as a small okay. seven person MSP. So the old partner program has always been extremely valuable to us. The new partner program. I think we will make zero dollars from. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a that's a key point, Amy, that you're pointing out. And I bet most of the listeners don't realize of all the rebate programs available at Microsoft. And that's kind of to my point. And I'm not going to argue with you. It's a lot of unfavorable changes coming from Microsoft. But I think it's all more the important to understand what you can take advantage of and leverage and get the most out of the partnership. Because I don't think they're going anywhere. But I mean, I, I understand the frustration if if you're selling Microsoft product and you can no longer sell it and make any money. Um, but as today, is that really 
where the money, where the margin is, is in selling the product? Um, or is it in the services wrapped around it? Well, well it's, of course it's licenses. in this. Yeah, that's the thing, right? We're selling, we have, to, we have to sell the licenses anyway. I may as well make a few dollars while I do it, right? Yeah. It's not the focus of the business, but it is gonna be a loss of $60,000 because, because we can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the one of the rules that's impacting us most is that they decided that any customer that you have that has under 10 licenses will not be considered a customer in the partner program. Huh. So that just called 50% of, of my MSP's clients. Um, and then it also, uh, the rules favor um, higher rate of sales, right? Which most MSPs are not sales organizations like James would like them all to be, but most of us are not. What? <laughs> <laughs> I I know, you know, we're we're service focused, so we don't we don't have, you know, a, a huge sales pipeline, you know, that's not really a focus of the business. The focus was on service. And so um yeah, so it's just favoring a different type of of partner and that's that's their decision to to make and that's the decision that they made. A lot of stuff happening in the channel. Uh, real quick. I, there's probably a lot of things that Carl has on the agenda today, but one quick thing I think is big news. Scalepad acquired Lifecycle Insights last week, and Lifecycle Insights was kind of uh, my community's go-to, uh, you know, VCIO tool or um, QBR tool, customer retention tool we talked about. You know, Amy Luby, you brought that up just a moment ago about how important QBRs are, and that's a a really powerful tool to make that an easier experience and more meaningful for the end user. So I think that's big news. Uh, congrats to LCI and ScalePad. That's pretty awesome. And uh, it's a pretty um, good connection too as well, right? ScalePad does warranties, right? So yep. uh, as long as you're talking to your clients, just one item to add to the list is make sure that you've got everything under warranty um, and I really like the rule that if it's not under warranty, it's not covered by, or the labor is not covered by many services. So exactly. Yeah, and I think they have a they have a backup reporting tool in there too. Like it's it's a pretty interesting platform. And marry it with lifecycle, it's it could be pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe and uh, there's some other tools that are popping up that actually automate the white space um, reporting um, and the, and and help the MSPs in an automatic way. Like they connect to their uh, PSA platforms and actually deliver the reporting and bubble up the greatest opportunities because they're now using AI and different technologies to identify, you know, here's your top clients, here's where the gaps are, your sales team needs to focus here and oh why by the way sales manager or msp owner you know these are the things places where you want your sales team to be focusing it's it's pretty interesting what's happening in that space i'm now officially on the lookout for uh, the phrase white space at the next conference i go to <laughs> it's a thing trade trademark amy louie <laughs> Not me. What's our question of the week? Our IT question of the week? Well, you know, I noticed 
some uh, <laughs> this comment, right? I hope Google never goes down. I know like maybe six or seven things. So I don't know if it's a question, but it was definitely a meme and a comment and it got a lot of attraction in the IT support group. Um, our dependence on search, you know, it's, it's funny, right? Do I really know anything or do I just Google stuff? But um, gosh, you know, our dependence on searching things is actually a little too high in our industry, I think. And um, I think we've gone too far. We've talked a little bit about certification in the past and the values of it. And I think we've gone a little too far on the pendulum swing toward our staff doesn't need training and our staff doesn't need certification. Uh -oh. They're just really good computer people and they'll they'll learn it, they'll figure it out, they'll Google the answer and it's fine. I don't, you know, that you didn't have to invest in training, continuous training of your IT staff to keep up with stuff because Google exists. And I think that's such a huge mistake. So when I saw that meme, it just really caught my eye as a thing that was being discussed out there. I agree. I, you know, we used to have a list of approved tools. Like, you know, you you cannot, when you see a virus, just go Google, how do I fix this virus and grab the first tool. And then, you know, we nobody else on the team knows what you did or how you did it or whatever. We had a list of things. First, you use this tool. And if that doesn't work, you use this tool. Um, and if that doesn't work, you talk to your service manager. <laughs> right. And um, And Google is the same way. We used to pay for subscriptions to services that had actual answers, TechNet and other things. And um, the idea that you're going to go to Google and the first 247,821 responses are forums where people are saying, oh, yeah, I'm having the same problem. Has anybody fixed it yet? That is just a waste of your time. And it's, it's, a, it's really starting in the wrong direction. It's been I a pet peeve of mine for a while. Yeah, we, we have better searching skills than most of our clients, but that doesn't make it the first thing you should do. I would actually ask the question in an interview, and I, I stopped doing it because I was so frustrated with the answers. And, you know, it's like, how would you find the, you know, how would you find the answer to, and I would give them a question that they, no way they're going to know what it is off the top of their head. They're like, they're like, well, I would Google it. Like, and, oh, well, you know, then I would, I would, you know, find the answer and then I would do what it says. And I'm like, and how would you choose the answer, right? Which is the, what I was really after. Like, you're going to Google, how are you going to choose the right answer from the million results that you're going to, that you're going to get? And the answer was pretty much always, well, the top one's always the best. Oh, or the oldest that's been clicked the most over this course of the last 20 years usually the <laughs> oldest yeah if i'm searching for anything technical the first thing i do is instead of any time i'm like this year or last three months or something so i can get more relevant up-to-date results i find it extraordinarily frustrating so the other thing i saw is going to push your button carl oh, i'm already <laughs> pissed off <laughs> uh, yeah you saw the headline Microsoft set to change the print screen button so that it opens the snipping tool when you when you press it. As and long I, as I can programmatically disable that really stupid decision, 
and make it do what God intended it to do, which is print screen, I will be okay. Some programmer in the 80s decided that was a good idea. It's 45 years later, it's time to make a change. Or, skipping tool is awesome. And it should, if there's a single button instead of a three click button that can get me there, it's a smart decision. How is it a three click button to press print screen? <laughs> I would never, I have never in my life used print screen because it just gives you a print of the screen. Snipping tool gives you the ability to snip the part of the screen that you want, do the editing, annotate it, highlight it, put little dots and arrows and do all kinds of things with that. I can like capture it and edit it all in one fell swoop. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to understand. I'm like, this sounds like a good thing. We're getting rid of print screen. Is that, am I understanding this? Yep. And it brings up the snipping tool. That, yep. So how do you get a, a print thing. of your entire screen? You just snip the entire screen? Snip the entire sure. screen. Except for the pixels on the outside, which you can't because you, your cursor won't go there. So you get you get a, you get the ninety two percent of your screen. Whatever, Carl. I don't know. On the Mac, you get the whole thing. <laughs> I know we're talking Microsoft, but it's real slick. Whatever they call it on the Mac. <laughs> of course, it is. <laughs> the odd thing for me is like if they start for me, I love doing everything with the keyboard. And if you saw me in Excel or Word, you would see that the mouse gathers dust while I am using those tools. I never, ever, ever touch it. And uh, uh, to me, the more they make me take my hands off the keyboard, the less productive I am. And so these, these changes where I have to start looking at the keyboard and fishing around, like, what do I want to do and how do I do it? It makes me less productive and less professional in my opinion. So, and maybe the next generation will spend all their time moving their hand between the mouse and the keyboard. And, and uh, that's instead of, instead of giving them breaks, we'll just let them be 60% unproductive uh, during their day. So I, I think they'll speak to it. Very good. Thank you all for being here. We encourage you to share this with your friends. If you uh, have not subscribed to us, subscribe to us on one of your favorite podcatchers. We are on iHeartRadio, and that's always a great place to find this and many other podcasts that you like. And, uh, you know, share it with your friends. We appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.